Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we uh, thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us and the great encouragement that you're sharing with us today and the victory that you've given us over the devil. Amen. Okay, I'm going to share with you on Persecuted to Sanctified. That's right. And first revelation I'm going to share is the angel army protects UBM. Amen. And this was given to Samuel Fire on one fifteen twenty three. Excuse me, one fifteen twenty three. I dreamt that I, my wife Tiana and many other of UBM brethren were gathered at a man's house where his wife and family were. This man and some others I had not seen before eventually factioned away from UBM. But at this time, we all were friendly and sharing the word and the peace of Christ. Well, uh, yes, these people uh, became traitorous, uh, Judases, as the Lord pointed out to us, Edomites, um, just as King David's son, Absalom, betrayed him. Uh, Samuel went on to say, It was a beautiful late morning, and the sun was very bright. A nice cool breeze was blowing gently. And as the day got closer to noontime, clouds started to build up and loom. Well, I believe these represent the storm clouds of selfish ambition, sin, unforgiveness that build up and block the light of the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, and their spiritual eyesight becomes cloudy, and God separates them through factious spirits. We were there to have a barbecue, and the food was getting cooked and served to the outdoor area. Well, we've seen that the barbecue represents the sacrifice of our flesh that we burn up on the altar when we live the crucified life. People go just so far sometimes with the crucified life and they lay it down, but it is our life. And First uh, Chronicles twenty one twenty four says, And King David said to Ornan, Lay, nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer a burnt offering without cost." There's a cost to a burnt offering. You're giving up the old life. Amen. 
And if you're not willing to lose your knife, Jesus said, you will not gain your life. The children were all playing and running around in the yard, and the adults were uh, talking in small groups about various topics regarding the Lord. Then the wind intensified, and the clouds grew very dark. Uh, and far into the distance, there were storm clouds with lightning. Next, the factious accused David Eels, Michael Hare, and a few others of something. Uh, well, the storm clouds of faction may come against God's true ministers, but as we will see, they will not prevail. And therefore, a crucifixion, no doubt, and for uh, the judgment of the wicked. Okay. So the factious people who started the argument began to be very angry and violent, pushing others. And I shouted out, we didn't do that and have no idea about it. Well, that's true. David Eels, Michael Hare, and others in the UBM family were very peaceful and still smiling at them. Of course, we did all our best to help them to come around, but to no avail. Psalm 35, 11 through 16 says, Unrighteous witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I know not, and they reward me evil for good to the bereaving of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I afflicted my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though I, it had been my friend or my brother, which Jesus did, but Judas too, by, by the way, he called him friend, right? I bowed down mourning as one that bewaileth his mother, but in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. Yes, they're pretty sneaky. Uh, they did tear me and ceased not, like the profane mockers in feasts. They gnashed upon me with their teeth. Well, Samuel went on to say, All of a sudden the factious pulled out weapons and started to shoot guns at all the UBM brethren. Well, this usually uh, represents character assassination by criticism and slander without ever having any proof of sin. Their demons do not want them to hear scriptural reasoning, so many times they shoot from darkness, and then they flee. You know, they hide out and shoot. Well, um, we all just calmly grabbed our things and our children and left and didn't look back. Well, we must protect our fruit by opening the Word and, and having uh, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, as the Bible says. Um, at this time, rain started to pour and lightning was flashing all about. Then the scene changed and we were in an abandoned industrial area with empty buildings. The brethren were all gathered and calmly discussing the previous events around a small fire near the center. Well, the UBM brethren gather around the fire of the Holy Spirit in love and unity. Um, he went on to say, We had a very basic setup and were all able to rest and have a little food and drink. Amen. And uh, 
1 Timothy 6, 6-8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, for neither can we carry anything out. But having food and covering, we shall be therewith content. And then he said, uh, Everyone was still very happy and joyful. We then settled, uh, excuse me, started to pray for the factious people for their evil spirits to leave. You know, Matthew 5 and 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, pray for them that persecute you. Yes, amen. Then he said, While the children were sleeping, the adults were praying and agreeing on the next place we should go and uh, who would stay awake to watch out for our enemies. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to watch. Romans 8 and 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Speaking about uh, agreeing for the next place that they should go. And later in the night, uh, vehicles sped towards the area where we were staying, and one of the brethren who was on watch called out as they saw the lights of the vehicles from the distance. The brethren on watch represents the uh, UBM dreamers and um, visioners through whom the Lord uh, warns his people. Yes, this has certainly been a great help. Um, everyone woke up and we all prayed together and calmed the children down. And as we prayed, the brethren had multiple confirmations that we were invisible here and soundproof. We were safe. However, if we tried to leave, they would see us. Amen. So uh, this represents being hidden in Christ. As long as we abide in him, we will be safe and not uh, seen by our enemies. Amen. But actually, God is the one that opens up anybody who is within that is not abiding in Christ. He opens them up for attack, and they are taken out, because this is how God cleanses the body. A few brethren were looking out and could see the factious man and his followers inside these vehicles. They looked very angry, and the factious leader had a megaphone and was saying, Come out and fight. Let's settle this now. Well, actually, they want to do that from darkness. They do not do that face to face. So this is like Second Kings eighteen twenty-eight through 30. Then, Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear ye the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely uh, deliver us. And this city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So David Eels reassured all of us that there was nothing they could do to us, and uh, we are all safe. Well, let me say, uh, they are only a danger to those who are ready to be separated so that their leaven does not leaven the body. So a person that falls into unforgiveness, criticism, or 
uh, in things like that, or moral sin, uh, whatever, uh, this will find you out because the Lord sends the faction spirits to remove you. That's what happens. So the Lord Jesus had us all protected, and we were to just wait, and they would go away. Well, Second Kings nineteen six through seven says, and Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, and he shall hear tidings, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Yes, and of course, Assyria here represents the beast, and the faction, of course, is a member of the beast, just like this. Uh, because they walk after the mind of the flesh and the works of the flesh. That's the mark of the beast, right? Hand and forehead. So, the UBM brethren kept in prayer and faith, and some of the brethren were fixing small meals for everyone, and others were doing various tasks, all the while praying aloud or in the Spirit. No one became anxious or upset. There was a huge thunderstorm, and the night was black. Then all of a sudden, the rain, lightning, and thunder stopped, and light started to pour all around the whole building. And we were all in side. I could hear musical instruments from a far distance and uh, high-pitched singing sounding us uh, from all directions, surrounding us from all directions. And then Eve shouted, The Lord's army is here. Rejoice. Yes. Everyone in our group was sitting with their arms raised, even all the children, and we were either shouting for joy or in holy tongues. The small campfire was now a giant, blazing, roaring fire, and there was not a shadow anywhere. Well, it's interesting. One time the Lord showed me what uh, the sh- shadows spoke of, really. Uh, the perfect day is when there is the most light and no shadows, right? Shadows are darkness, right? We want the darkness gone. Proverbs 4 and 18 says, But the path of the righteous is as the dawning light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The perfect day is when there's no shadows. The sun is straight up, full bore. <laughs> Well, the whole room was shaking, and I could feel such a strong warmth like I was wrapped in a wooden coat, woolen coat, excuse me. Revival and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will turn the tides for God's elect on a mass scale. The angels told us that they would assist the saints during the end-time great revival. Amen. And then the Lord's army showed up. I could see that the light was made up of angels, and there were thousands of them all around the whole building. There was not a gap between them. The singing and musical instruments were so powerful and in unison that it was shaking the floor. 
The factious people outside in the vehicles were then surrounded by the angel army. All of them dropped their weapons, and eventually they were all finally arrested. And then I woke up. Well, this, of course, reminds us of Eve's dream of the factious dogs being rounded up and locked up by the angels to be uh, killed by lethal injection. And that was in uh, Restoration for the Saints number 3. And we have had several dreams where the vaccine plague was killing the faction who would not repent. And that, of course, is the lethal injection. So this next revelation we call Remain Unified Through Persecutions. And this was Vanessa Weeks. One twelve twenty three, And Vanessa said, I dreamed that I was living with a small group of other believers. It was an oval-shaped area with small, plain houses that were connected together. Well, we'll just call this God's true people dwell together in unity, right? In Ephesians 2 and 20 and 22, 22 being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building, that's each individual, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. This was in a wilderness, she said, and um, and we think that represents tribulation. And these dwellings were identical. I knew that we were all there because of being persecuted by the powers that be. Um, well, the corporate beast uh, will persecute the man-child and his disciples through the corporate harlot, which includes the faction, just as in Jesus' day. Amen. History always repeats, right? But I knew we each had a choice in giving up what we had and that some of us had given up great possessions. And this is true of all the brethren here have sacrificed greatly to build the kingdom, right? And the joy of the Lord was uh, great in this place. Hebrews 10.34 says, for you both had compassion on them that were in bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one, one that lasts forever, as a matter of fact. And also Hebrews 11 and 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Amen. There was water in the center of the dwellings, and it was to give us refreshment. Well, we know what the Word of God does. It refreshes us, empowers us, keeps us on the right track, so on and so forth, right? I saw a man who had broad shoulders in the water, and he was wearing a white shirt. Uh, I believe this, this might be like Jesus. The man-child reformers will have the government upon their shoulders, 
And like Jesus, they will stir up the people with their words to bring a great revival, as well as stirring up their enemies to kill them. Because as you know, anybody who spoke truth in the Bible invited the wicked to come against them, right? He was stirring up the water with his right hand. There we go. And then I woke up. And I believe this represents stirring up the people who are represented by waters in the book of Revelation. The uh, great revival will bring unity and love, which is hated by Satan and his people, and made war on. So that leads us to this. Tiana Fire on 115.23 got this, which we called the Lord's love manifested through UBM. Well, Tiana currently lives in Australia, so she was making a long visit. <laughs> she said, in the dream, I was at Matt and Anna's house, which is here, and we were preparing to go over to Fio and Lana's for the Friday Worship Fellowship. I was super excited, but nervous to meet all the brethren. And when we got to Fio and Lana's, I first saw David Eels, and I instantly went and hugged him, and I felt such love, comfort, and peace. It felt pure, and there was no evil present or uh, fleshly feelings or thoughts. Uh, usually, in the flesh, I'm having to cast down judging thoughts, feelings, or pride and rejection, etc. However, none of that was present. There was only the Holy Spirit's presence. I felt spiritually one with all of the brethren in a pure spiritual way, one with Jesus and with them, and there was nothing separating us from being one with each other. It was so hard to find physical words to describe the extraordinary presence I felt, but it was pure. So this oneness, where does this come from? I tell you where it comes from. It comes from being persecuted by the wicked. Because when people see what happens to people who once believed truth and fell away and got reprobated, they're very careful to make sure they have right thoughts towards the brethren, to reject any criticism, unforgiveness, judgment, and this is what brings about this love, okay? So David looked so very young, his skin was completely clear, no wrinkles or blemishes, and everything was physically perfect. Well, this is the uh, restoration that the Lord has shown us is coming. Uh, and the angels called it a complete DNA restoration. I've never seen something in the natural that was so physically pure as how I saw the brethren in this dream. There was only innocence and purity present, and we were completely connected in one mind. It was as though everyone knew what was going to happen before it happened. This is pretty much true. It's pretty much been that way. And there's a lot of love here for sure, more than any uh, group I've ever been in. Uh, David and I were in one mind when we hugged each other, and I felt so much joy in the Lord, and agape love for David. 
And it was as if each of the brethren could read each other's minds. Yeah, we get to know each other pretty good. Uh, this phenomenon is talked about by those who have visited heaven and returned to testify about it, right? And after hugging David, I turned and looked to my other side, and I saw Vanessa Weeks, and I felt such spiritual excitement and joy to see my sister. I felt this connection that could never be broken. The connection with her, too, felt as if we were one together in Christ and that all the brethren were as one without any fleshly or unholy hindrance. I felt completely pure. I felt a strong urge to hug her, and we hugged, and it was so beautiful. There was just pure love. Vanessa, too, looked so young and ageless, with perfect skin. Her skin was more beautiful than any skin I've ever seen, and there was just pure love in and through her, and it was Jesus in her and Jesus in me. And all of us were connected as one, and I knew it was now and for all eternity. It was Jesus in each of us. The Holy Presence was amplified once we arrived at the worship fellowship, and there was no nervousness anymore. Nothing evil was trying to block me. I couldn't feel or hear rejection like I usually do. That was all gone, and every one of us were in unity with Christ. There was nothing that could separate or break our unity. It was so extraordinary, not having to battle or even hear any unclean thoughts or feelings. It was just Jesus without any hindrance. Jesus in all and through all. Praise God. A few days ago, I also had a similar dream about, but I only remember a glimpse of it. I saw Eve right in front of me and felt this strong connection in the spirit and the physical and I knew that we were connected and one in Christ now and for eternity. I felt such pure spiritual love for Eve, and she too felt it back. I said, my beautiful sister Eve, and I had this strong urge to hug her, and we hugged at the presence, and the presence of God was so strong, peaceful, comforting, and pure. There was nothing unclean present. It was only the Holy Spirit. It was so pure, and even remembering all of this brings tears to my eyes about how real it all felt and how pure it felt. And it's all Jesus, all His glory. We had a long hug, and the presence of God was so strong, and we stopped hugging, and I said something about how her hair was a different shade of red, than I imagined, and I said that God knows that red hair has always been my favorite color hair, and I said something about how I love her beautiful curls that God gave her, and I was admiring her in a spiritual, pure way, not in a fleshly, carnal way, admiring her as Christ in her and her as Christ's bride, as the creation and redeemed of Christ. Eve also looked so young and ageless. 
There were no wrinkles or anything, and her skin was just pure. After talking with her, I looked at her again, and I just felt such love for her. And I wanted to hug her again, and so we hugged again, and it felt so pure and spiritually connected. Every time we stopped hugging, I just hugged her again, because there was uh, so much love and pure connection and holiness and nothing evil or carnal. And then I woke up. And she went on to say, This is hard for me to put in physical words, as it's so hard to describe spiritual things. But there have been a few times where the Lord has allowed me to see, feel, and experience a glimpse of His love for the brethren, especially the local brethren in Tennessee. His love for each of you is beyond anything I can put in words beyond anything we could imagine or describe. It's so strong and brings me to tears in remembering what he allowed me to see and feel. It's, it is all him. Everything is him. And he cares every second for everything about each of you. And he wants to be a part of every moment in your life and mind. He looks past all the faults and sees you as if they are already gone. And they are, because of Jesus' sacrifice. Amen. The enemy tries to trick us so much to think that God doesn't care about little things, and that we aren't good enough. But Jesus has already done it all, and he's already lives in each of you in full, and he can only manifest it fully if we allow him to. He can only manifest the percentage that we allow Him to. He wants to manifest through us 100% in every part of our existence, more than we want Him to. He desires to be with us and in us and of us more than we want Him to. He loves us more than we could ever understand. But when I was allowed to experience and feel a glimpse of his love for the brethren, his love was well beyond pure and the holy and and uh, the holy and well above anything that can we can imagine or put into words. One time, when watching the live worship fellowship on YouTube, it was at the beginning before anyone even started singing. And I felt the Lord come upon me so strong, and I felt him take over my body. And he was looking through my eyes at each of the brethren with complete, pure love. It wasn't me, and I wish I could experience the Lord looking through me all the time. But I just felt complete, whole, pure, undefiled love and grace for each of the brethren. And there wasn't anything unclean that, that could hinder it or separate his love f- for them. And each of the brethren are all just as important as the other. And the body can, can't function without all the parts, and no part is the same. Just as each of God's children is unique from the other, there is no one else in existence like each individual but they are all still connected in unity with each other as Jesus. Well, 
This kind of reminds me of a dream the Lord gave to Eve. And uh, it was called Seeing Others Through Faith. She got this on 6.13.08. And uh, I'll just say that the Shulamite bride in the Song of Solomon had the eyes of a dove, meaning she saw things the way God's Spirit sees things. And this dream teaches us to see others by faith as God does, to see that they have already been given godliness through Christ, in other words, if we have faith for ourselves, we should have the same faith for others, right? And this is the opposite of the way the faction views righteous people, the very opposite, because that's Satan in them, okay? And Second Peter 1 and 2 says, Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Be multiplied, he said, right? Seeing, that's what you're supposed to do, that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. Whereby he hath granted, past tense, unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. So, as we can see from this, spirit eyes see the end from the beginning, right? They walk by faith for others as well as self, right? I had a dream that began in an indoor swimming pool area. The voice of David Eels was talking over my right shoulder throughout the whole dream. He was showing me different people and situations, people that I had wondered whether they were saved or would be saved, or if these people were making the right choices or living their lives the right way. These things had disturbed or concerned me throughout my life. Well, um, rather than wonder about them, we should have faith for them to be saved. That's part of our work is to pray for one another, right? Amen. In fact, Philippians 1 and 6 uh, and 7 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ even as it is right for me to be thus minded on behalf of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Amen. So we're supposed to see the end from the beginning, right? She went on to say, uh, David would show me these different people. Some of them were close friends or family members, and others were people who were strangers whom I had never seen before or people I had only had brief encounters with. I was walking on the right side of the pool. David's voice was talking over my shoulder in my right ear from behind me. And suddenly I could hear the voices of my son Noah and his friend Nathan squabbling. 
Now, this was back in 08. They're all grown up now. But I walked up to them and wasn't sure how to handle their squabble and was uh, frustrated with their childish foolishness. Then David Eels walked over to both of them and in a gentle way started teaching them. He calmed them with a gentle voice. And then he showed them how to reconcile their differences. Well, Matthew 5 and 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen. That's our job, right? Then the scene changed. David's voice was still in my right ear teaching me. The more he taught me, the more my spiritual sight opened up and I began to see these people the way God sees them or knows them, even when they are still living in sin or ignorance. Well, we have to be the peacemakers between the immature and teach them to let God be the judge between them, right? The next scene was outdoors on some land that David owned. And I drove up in a flatbed pickup with uh, food, plants, flowers, and one small crate of special baby birds. I was uh, contributing these things as a gift to UBM. Well, of course, there's no buying and selling, but giving and receiving. That's the way we're supposed to be, right? So all of us lived on his land and had our different positions and chores or things that we were assigned to do based on what we were good at. That's the way it ought to be. God's, whatever God gifts us at, that's what we do. And that's what makes us the most happy, too. So everyone will work according to their assigned gift from God. Um, him working in them to willing to do of his good pleasure, right? And this creates peace and rest in us. So the women and I carried all the food, plants, flowers into the greenhouse nursery to tend to them. I set uh, the baby birds on the top right corner of a table in the center of the nursery. Well, baby Christians, I believe what we're looking at here is in the nursery will grow up like the father's planting, right? So one of the women who was older than me in her 50s with dyed dark brown hair uh, walked past the birds and looked down at them with presumptive irritation and, and said, What are those? And I started to tell her, but she cut me off because her true intention was to make a point that she wasn't going to help me feed them or care for them. Um, she said, well, I hope you don't expect me to take care of them. And again, these represent uh, young Christians who have lots of problems all the time, you know, and uh, they have to be pampered, <laughs> literally. <laughs> And uh, I was offended at first by her presumptuousness, but David's voice on my shoulder explained to me why she said that, because that was not God's calling for her. And then something amazing happened. All at once, I was able to see her heart, attitude, and knew this woman intimately as God saw her. 
Well, it's true. If, if a person doesn't have a calling to a certain things, they don't understand. It's kind of like evangelists understanding teachers. There's, they are different, really. They're made differently. And, of course, they always believe that their calling is the most important. <laughs> so all my anger just melted away, and I loved this woman and was so grateful for all she had done for UBM. And I was shown how precious and valuable she was to God. And I cherished her like a hidden treasure. Well, all will learn to appreciate individual callings and gifts as the people manifestly become the body of Christ. No one will do without, for the body will minister to itself as it has in uh, the book of Acts, right? Once again, after this, the scene changed and the plant nursery turned into my grandmother's house. It was Christmas and there were gobs of Christmas decor everywhere. My mother's family was celebrating Christmas. And they do that sometimes, don't they? <laughs> and standing around eating and talking to one another. My grandmother was being the good hostess that she has always been preparing food and asking everyone about themselves and so on and so forth. Yeah. So in God's nursery, the babies can grow up out of their Babylonish traditions without condemnation, right? Amen. A lot of people want to change others by condemnation, but that's not the way to do it. Uh, suddenly I realized that my grandfather was there. He passed away back in September of 2007, and this was 2008 now. He was dressed in a colorful Christmas sweater, and he looked so young and full of life. Well, this is probably representing those that are immature, who are dead in their sins, can grow up out of Babylonish works, right? Without condemnation. My grandmother acted as if it were normal to have a dead man mulling around her house. <laughs> well, for moms, you know, especially our, our mother um, religions that we came through into the kingdom, right? Uh, There's a lot of dead men mulling around, okay? My mom finally came in, and I rushed over to her in a panic and said, Thank God you're here. Grandpa is alive, and he is running around here talking to everyone. I was fearful and horrified, and my mother was surprised and concerned. She didn't know what to do except pretend like everything was normal <laughs> and talk, talk to my grandpa like uh, he was still alive. My mom and I were the only two who realized that my grandpa had died. Yeah, well, we know uh, resurrection life will come to those in immature Babylonish habits when we see them and talk to them as though they are alive from the dead and new creatures in Christ. Amen. Second Corinthians 5 and 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that one died for all, Therefore all died. And he died for all, that they that live should no longer live unto themselves, 
but unto him who for their sakes died and rose again. Wherefore, we henceforth know no man after the flesh. Even though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now we know him so no more. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. So this, of course, is uh, faith for that person, right? But all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is an exchange of their life for his. We, of course, encourage people with the words of faith to be uh, reconciled to Christ. In other words, let his life be their life and let their old life be nailed to his cross, right? To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not reckoning unto them their trespasses, and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Uh, We are ambassadors, therefore, on behalf of Christ, as though God were entreating by us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. As I stood there, I could hear David's voice over my shoulder again, and it calmed me down, and my fear melted away. Then that amazing thing happened again. I started quietly observing my grandpa as he talked and interacted with the other family members. He was beautiful and radiant. He was kind, and his heart was childlike. I saw him the way God had seen him. Well, you know, babies grow up at their own rate. You love them at each stage. You know, this is what she's saying, basically. Uh, Yes, by faith and renewed imagination as a new creature in Christ, is my comment here. He was uh, going around really just pouring out his soul into his children and grandchildren. I couldn't believe what a precious soul this was. My grandpa used to be a very hard man in his younger years, and when I was a child I heard him and my father arguing as my dad tried to share the gospel with him. A stream of obscenities would pour forth out of his mouth. He said he didn't need God, and later in his life, during his 60s, he had a change of heart. He got involved in a local Methodist church and went to Sunday school and church uh, most Sundays and uh, dragged my grandma along, and we also got involved with that church, and they were really serious about it all. Well, you got to start somewhere. And sometimes you can't jump right in the middle of a radical Book of Acts church. (laughs) Okay. So uh, God knows that. And uh, these apostate churches, which are, you know, uh, picking parts and pieces of the Bible to emphasize. And hopefully they stick with the the very youthful parts of the story. Because when they get past that into teaching other things, they get go astray. 
So, as baby Christians, we were all involved in a simplistic experience of Christianity. So, we should love these as Christ loved us, um, his babies, uh, who are learning to walk, right? At the same time, correcting the system and the leaders who would keep them as babes, because that's there too. When uh, he had been alive, I judged them for their denominational choice and what I viewed as a shallow, almost worthless relationship with God. Well, babies play in the shallow end of the pool (laughs) until they grow up, and we must speak justification by faith to them to give them the joy and confidence of their salvation because then God can really deal with them. He can really work on them when they've got faith towards God. And uh, they can't understand everything you have to say to them. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, there are many things I have to share with you, but you can't receive them right now, right? And we've got to have the same kind of common sense, right? As I was observing my dead grandpa at this Christmas party, (laughs) I was able to see his heart the way God saw him. It was incredible to me how I could feel how God felt and saw my grandpa. I saw that God cherished his childlike faith and his desire to help others understand things and mentor them and his desire to help others with their projects. Well, we have to see the immature as accounted righteous by faith, and we have to convince them that they are accounted righteous by faith too. At that moment, I knew that he was with the Lord and not in hell as I had been concerned about it since his death. Amen. The scene changed again, and my grandmother's house turned into the apartment of two homosexual men. As I observed them, they couldn't see me. I was immediately disgusted that I was in their home. Well, just remember, we are forbidden to judge any of the lost, for they have no grace to obey and are in bondage and should be pitied. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13 tells us that very plainly. Don't judge those that are without, right? I was fearful of some sort of defilement or something, and these two men were nicely dressed. I listened to to them talk. Uh, They had several Great Dane dogs that were running around in the backyard. It wasn't happy about, I wasn't happy about those dogs. Okay, so uh, here's the point. God prepares people to hear from him. He sometimes drags them to a very low place. uh, So that uh, they're not proud and so that they uh, appreciate the salvation of God uh, before he brings them in. So this preparation starts even before people get saved. And sometimes it's very humbling. As I was feeling threatened by these men and their dogs, I heard David's voice talking in my right ear again. And as I listened, the threat uh, melted away, and I began to see these men's hearts. They had such compassion and loving kindness in their hearts. I watched them love and care for their animals, and when suddenly I heard a knock at the the door. 
one of the men went over to open the door, and there was a naked man who was obese and hairy all over his body sitting in a wheelchair with a colostomy bag taped to his lower abdomen that was filled with feces. He was homeless and needed a place to live and someone to help him change his colostomy bag every day. Well, we see people like that all the time, although in the letter they're not exactly like that, but they're in just as bad a shape, right? So the sight of this man horrified me, and I doubted these men would take him in. I watched as they happily discussed uh, the possibility between themselves and eagerly agreed to take his, this crippled, naked man into their home and take care of him. I was astounded at their love for other people, their compassion, and the blindness to the flaws of others. Well, you know why? how they get that way? Blindness to the flaws of others? They have flaws, and they know it, and it humbles them. Okay. God showed me all the qualities that he had formed in their hearts, how he used the betrayal and rejection that they had experienced throughout their lives in order to form Christ in them. I was seeing the end from the beginning in these men, even though they were still in ignorance and lost in their sin. See, I say God prepares people even before they come to the Lord, right? And they appreciate salvation then. So those who have been uh, sinners and rejected can appreciate the acceptance of Christ through the gospel. And uh, some lost people have more of the nature of Christ than some Christians. But they're not justified through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's true, you can see more fruit in some of them than a lot of, mm, uh, let me say, self-righteous Christians. In everyone whom God will ultimately call to himself, he prepares the soil by breaking it up through adverse circumstances and failure so that through repentance and faith the seed of Christ is planted. And those who are forgiven of much are able to love much. Luke 7 and 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Amen. So God told me that uh, these are mine, and they were so beautiful, so perfect in heart, such com com compassion that I had never seen or experienced before. It just made me want to weep, and I felt defiled by my own attitudes and judgmental self-righteousness and was horrified at myself. Again, we don't judge those that are without. Those that are without, God judges, right? And he has a plan for those who were his from the foundation of the world, and bringing them through the mud is part of it sometimes, right? David's words had helped me to see things and people the way that God saw them. I was able to finally see my own heart clearly and repent to God. And after this dream, seeing others the way God sees them became a permanent gift. Amen. Well, God sees us as a finished product from the beginning. 
through Jesus' sacrifice, and we must do the same for others. And as we forgive them, God forgives us. We can tell them the good news, that they are free from sin, and the sinner will appreciate this greatly. Instead of, you know, getting into things that aren't necessary, you know, straining out a net, swallowing a camel like the Pharisees do, you know, etc. They look so precious to me, and I just cherished each one in my heart like a rare jewel. I didn't see their sin anymore or their imperfections. I wasn't concerned about their immediate states or what they were planning to do uh, that was sinful or wrong. I just saw the end from the beginning and felt such rest. Amen. So, seeing our loved ones through the sacrifice of Christ by faith gives us rest that God will do the work in them. We can have faith for them just like we have faith for ourselves, right? Not only did God settle my uncertainty about the salvation or spiritual condition of all the people whom I have prayed for, or been concerned about in my family or other people's families, but he gave me the faith I needed to believe in the sanctification of others that we pray for and believe for their salvation. So when we pray for lost loved ones, we are commanded to believe we have received what we prayed for and see it as done. Mark 11 and 24. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever, underline that, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them. That's not a request. That's a command. Believe that you received, and that that's what the word is in the original Greek. It's past tense. And you shall have them. And this has been an, uh, an issue for me that I have worried over, she says, and struggled with a lot. These situations were representational of all the lost loved ones whom the saints of God are praying and believing for. Praise God for peace of mind and for His great mercy. Well, amen. Uh, well, to be balanced on this subject, we must not give grace to believers who walk in willful disobedience. Hebrews 10.26 says, Again, we're talking about believers here, right? Uh, for if we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire which shall devour the adversaries. A man that has set at naught Moses' law dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment think ye shall he be judged worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you, saints. Um, we uh, hope this has helped you to, you know, see people in a new light. Um, you know, God starts with dirt. <laughs> he plants the seed in the dirt. 
The dirt puts to death the outside of the seed, and it grows, and it brings forth fruit that looks like the original seed, and so on. So, praise God, he's doing it. Uh, and Michael Hare's coming, and he's going to share with you, and uh, God bless him, and God bless everybody that, that uh, is listening. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and keep you. Good night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask for your anointing today to give out this word of holiness by faith. The Lord, I ask that you anoint the words and you help me to get through this, Lord, and that it would be a blessing to everybody out there in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's what I want to talk about, is holiness by faith. You know what? Faith empowers you to see yourself the way the Bible tells you to see yourself. And if you look at yourself and you size yourself up the way you are right now, that's what you are manifesting. But that ain't how the Bible says you're to see yourself. Our problem is that we walk by sight. And if you walk by sight like the world does, that's all you're ever going to get. We need to see the way Peter says to see, and that's by faith. Second Peter 1 and 3, seeing that his divine power hath granted, past tense, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. At the cross, Jesus gave you everything you need. It's already yours, and you have to accept it by faith. You have to believe that the divine power that's given to you is everything you need for life and godliness. You know, people spend a lot of time begging God and begging God, when all they need to do is read the Word and believe what it says. God doesn't want you to beg Him. His Bible says that reconciliation was accomplished on the cross. And it's a waste of time to not believe what the Bible says is already yours. God doesn't say one thing in his word and then do something else. He wants you to be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ, Philippians 1 and 6. Because it's his work in you through faith in what Jesus gave to you on the cross. But remember that even so faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. James 2 and 17. Uh, Some people have faith that's not faith. What they're calling faith is only mentally acknowledging something. Folks, the devil mentally acknowledges Christ, but the devil doesn't have faith in Christ. We're not after mental acknowledgement. We're after faith. And faith calls the things that are not as though they were. Faith brings the manifestation. Faith does what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. All things whatsoever ye pray and ask for, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. In other words, believe you have received them, and you shall have them. That's what it means. And the condition is faith. It was designed to be so simple that even a child can receive it. But that worldly wisdom that we have sometimes it block you from receiving it. Worldly vision or wisdom says this don't make any sense at all. And why did God make it that way? Well, God made it this way in order that only those people 
who received faith could receive the promise in faith. Uh, the promise in the faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. They're talking about your works. That no man should glory, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's God's works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. You see, there's a difference between your works and God's works through you. Philippians 2 and 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. People like to teach that unconditional love of God. And so you may have never heard that God hates anybody. But God hates all those whose works are evil. Every one of them. Romans 9 and 13, even as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. Psalm 5 and 5. The arrogant shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Psalms 11 and 5. The Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Folks, there's a lot of verses like that in the Bible. God loves goodness. He don't like sin. He don't love sin at all. God is in the process of creating sons, and there has to be a Christ-likeness born in you. And you manifest sonship as you grow in sanctification, which is separation from the world unto God. And if you obey his commandments, you'll be separated from the world. Matthew 10.34 says, Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. When you're separated from the world, your works are God's works. God's desire is to manifest sonship in order to have fellowship with you. It's God that's doing the work. Ephesians 1 and 5, Having foreordained us unto adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So by faith we believe that God's one. Colossians 1 and 13 He's the one who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And we don't have to fear anything. We just, all we have to do is just believe. And the only difference between the person who's chosen and the person who's not chosen is faith. So just believe. And people worry about, I wonder if I am one of the elect. Well, if you believe that you are one of the elect, you will be. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and 10, wherefore, brethren, Give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never stumble. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, how many of you out there know that you can't worry and have faith at the same time? If you're anxious, then you ain't having faith. Stop worrying about what you hadn't done. Exercise faith. And you will do. And it's silly to think I'm not doing good enough. And I have to pick up myself by my bootstrap. Look, you ain't got no ability to be anything but what you are unless something from the outside reaches in, changes you. And that's what the job of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit reaches in, changes your heart through faith as you believe that you've been given what the Bible says you have been given. It's real simple, and it's free. And it's not by your works, otherwise you would have earned it, and it's not grace. 
First John 3 and 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. That word children is the Greek word technon, and that means children. And such we are, for this cause the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we children of God. And it is not yet made manifest what we shall be. We know that if he shall be manifested, he's talking about Christ being manifested in us, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, even as he is. And everyone that has this hope set on him purifies himself, even as he is pure. If Christ is manifested, we will be like him. That's what the Bible said. That's... I was talking about his manifestation in us. If he shall be manifested, we will be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And what does it mean to see him even as he is? Well, the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image. You have to see the image in the mirror as an accomplished fact before you can be transformed. God tells us to do this. And for Christ to be manifested in you, you have to see him as he is. Don't trust in religion because there ain't no shortcut, folks. When you look in the word, you become familiar with the face of Jesus. And that's your face. 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. And by faith you accept that as your gift from God. It's not because you're able to do that, because none of us are able. And not because you're worthy, because none of us are worthy. But it's because it's been given to you through the reconciliation. The glory is the righteousness of Christ, the truth of Christ, his being, his presence. But you have to behold him in the mirror and not some other Christ. We want the Jesus of this Bible. And if it's not this Jesus, then you're going to be manifesting the wrong image. Paul warned us about receiving another Christ and another spirit in Galatians 1 and 6. I marvel that ye are so quickly removing from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto a different gospel, which is not another gospel, only there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached unto you, let him be anathema. And as we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preaches unto you any gospel other than that which you receive, let him be anathema. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still pleasing men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Notice, uh, John says in 1 John 3 and 3, and every one, that hath this hope set on him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Well, how do we purify ourselves? Well, you do it through the promises in the word of God. Ephesians 6 and 14. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
withal taking up the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fire darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. This is the knowledge that you have been delivered, you have been saved, and you've been set free from the curse. In other words, it's the knowledge of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Then verse 17 again, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You're to use faith and the Word against the old man, against that old flesh, against the devil, and against the world. Second Corinthians 71 says, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. You see, these promises are the sword with which you purify yourself. Verse 1. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Folks, that's a good promise. And if you say, but I thought we were to pray to God to do that. No, Bible don't say that. The Bible says to stand and fight. Take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and use them against your enemies. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to learn to think the way God tells you to think. Man fell away from God because of the way he thought. And God says not to add to nor to take away from his words or the curses of the book going to be on you. Revelation 22 and 18. I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city, which are written in this book. Folks, the way out from under the curse is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to change your mind. Change your thinking because it's wrong. We have to think the way God tells us to think. Romans 6 and 11 says, Even so reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and consider it done because of the reconciliation that Jesus made. At the cross, you were made free from sin. And if you don't think like that, you can't walk away from it. And you'll never be able to stop sinning. You know, how many of you heard people say, I just can't. Well, of course you can't because you don't believe that God gave you the power to do it. It's true you can't because you're not a believer. In the early church, they were called believers. Believers in what? Believers in the gospel. What was the gospel? You have been set free from sin by the power of God because of what Jesus did. And the believer ain't going to sit out there and say, I can't do it. You know what a believer is going to say? A believer is going to say, I can. I can do it. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him that strengtheneth me. Our attitude has to change, folks. We are always negative about our ability. Folks, our ability is nothing, but God's ability through us is total. Jesus gave you the authority, Matthew 18 and 18. Verily I say unto you, what 
things soever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And what things soever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You can change the circumstances around it if you believe what that Bible tells you to believe. It'll change everything. If you think about yourself the way uh, that the Bible tells you to think about yourself, to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, in other words, think the way I tell you to speak. And if you speak, you need to speak as an ark of God, which means to speak in agreement with God. And that's real important for the manifestation of sonship. First Peter 4 and 11. If any man speaks, speaking as it were, oracles of God. If any man ministereth, ministering as of the strength which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, whose is the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> that Greek word for oracle is logion, and it means an utterance of God, a divine utterance. You don't take away from his words, and you don't add to them. Otherwise, you have to live under the curse. Paul said Christ is coming to be glorified in a group of people. Second Thessalonians 1 and 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at in all them that believe because of our test, because our testimony unto you was believed in that day. Jesus is going to be glorified in those people because they're going to believe what the Bible says. Verse 11, to which end we also pray always for you that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire of goodness and every work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And that Greek word for name is a nomen. It means all that a name implies of authority, character, rank, majesty, power, excellence, and on and on, of everything that that name covers, Paul is praying that the very nature and character of Christ would be glorified in you. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sonship is going to be manifested because you believe what the word says. You hear people say, I believe this Bible from cover to cover. Folks, it's easier said than done. The mind of the natural man is contrary to what the Bible says. Romans 8 and 6, for the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace, because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. When you read the Bible, you have to repent. And that word repent is the Greek word metaneo, and it means to think differently or to change your mind. God wants you to change your mind because your thinking's been wrong. Change your mind when you read the Bible. Accept what it said, and, it, and it'll deliver you every time. Jesus told us in John 8 and 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you exercise faith in what the Bible says, you're going to be set free. Religion doesn't do nothing. Religion is just man's ideas about God. So we need to accept God's own ideas about God. Why take somebody else's opinion? So don't add to or take away from the word, and you're going to be blessed. Repent, change your mind, and you'll be blessed. Okay, 
Where and how do you receive the glory that Paul mentions about, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and ye in him? Religion teaches that you get the glory in the next life. But that ain't what the Bible says. You can't find in the Bible even one instance where God comes and changes the soul. Most Christians believe that when God comes, he's going to take away your old dirty soul and give you a new one. No. The word don't say that. The word says only that God's going to give you a new body. Romans 8 and 23. And not only so, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for our adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For in hope were we saved. But hope that has seen it is not hope. For who hopes for that which he sees? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And then Ephesians 1 and 12 says, To the end that we should be unto the praise of his glory, we who had before hoped in Christ, and whom ye also, having heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is an earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession, unto the praise of his glory. We receive the glory here, and we receive it by bearing fruit here, here and now. Here is where we bear the fruit of Christ. Jesus said the 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit that the righteous would bear has to be born on earth. He doesn't give it to you in heaven. You get it right here. This is our one chance to get the fruit. We're running the race here, folks. And to those that are faithful in that race and bear fruit 30, some 60, some 100 fold, he'll give you a new body. But he didn't say he'd give you a new soul. And if you believe that, one day God will come and change you, then where is the motivation for you to bear the fruit of Christ in your life? That lie makes it easy for the people who just want to be satisfied with where they are. And then they sit down and stop running the race. Jesus gave us the gift of himself freely. And all we have to do is believe that we got it. Believe that you have the ability of Christ and that his life is in you. The gospel is simple, but it's not acceptable to the carnal mind, folks, the fleshly mind. The gospel is made so that a child can receive it. And children trust their father, don't they? The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 and 3, For ye died. And he's speaking to people that are somewhere along in this process of holiness. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, then shall ye also with him be manifested in glory. Well, what's that glory? Second Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. Well, where is that glory? Here, or is it beyond? Out there in the, somewhere. Here or on the other side? Well, obviously the glory is right here. And what does he mean by from glory to glory? Well, Paul means the three different bodies that people are going to uh, come with in the next life. 
1 Corinthians 15 and 35, but some will say, how are the dead raised and with what manner of body do they come? And in 36, thou foolish one, that which thou thyself sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be but a bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other kind, but God gives it a body even as it pleased him, and to each seed a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fishes. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. He calls them a star glory, and a moon glory, and a sun glory body. We come into Christ's likeness, traveling through those three glories. We go from star glory over to moon glory and unto sun glory. And if you die as a star glory, you receive a star glory body. And star glory is when you are self-righteous. A star has its own glory shining from it. There's a whole bunch of stars. Just we're all separated because of self-righteousness when we first come to Christ. Self-righteousness is star glory. But in Romans 6 and 5, it says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Then you manifest moon glory. You see, the stars have their own glory of self-righteousness. But the moon is dead. And the moon is only one body. Moon glory is when we have died to self. But if we become one with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That's sun glory. We go through three stages. We go through a self-righteous stage, then a death stage, and a sun glory stage, which is the resurrection of Christ. And if you're looking at Jesus in the mirror, you'll go through these three stages from glory to glory. You're going to come into the sun glory of Christ's likeness. And if you die, and I say if because it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all shall not sleep, or meaning die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So if you die in one of those three stages, you're going to get that kind of a body. Paul is saying, when Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested in us. That's what he's talking about. Then shall we also with him be manifested in glory. Now, I want you to to prove this, that he's talking about this life we're in here and now. He's not talking about the next life. 2 Corinthians 4 and 10. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. And if that's not clear enough, the next verse clears it up even further. Verse 11, For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Mortal flesh ain't a new body. So God's purpose is that the life of Jesus would be manifested in this body through the suffering of death to self. 
the life of Jesus is resurrection life, and that's sun glory. You go through death, and you come to resurrection life. And that's what Paul's talking about. The glory of Christ is the righteousness of Christ. We put on Christ by putting on his righteousness. We put on the robes that the bride wears. Revelation 19 and 8 says, And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And as we manifest Christ through faith in what God has given us, the biggest temptation we have is to look in the mirror and look at ourselves. James one twenty two. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, that deluding your own self. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the mirror. So if you see your natural face in the mirror, you're going to be a hearer of the word, but you're not going to be a doer of the word. Second Peter 1 and 5 says, Yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, supply virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, patience, and in your patience, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle, nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacks these things is blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never stumble. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is if you lack any of these attributes of Christ, it's because you're nearsighted. Why would you want to look into the mirror and see yourself? Don't you remember that you were cleansed from your old sin? That means the old man is dead, folks. Don't look in the mirror and see the old man. He's dead. He's gone. Look in the mirror and see Jesus. Or in other words, Peter is saying that if you're lacking these attributes, it's because you're looking at yourself when you look in the mirror. You can't do these things unless you look in the mirror and see Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 6 and 40, The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is perfected shall be as his teacher. Perfected means matured. You have to believe that when you are matured, you're going to walk like he walked, you're going to talk like he talked, and you're going to think like he thought. And you have to see it in that spiritual mirror. Did you know that there's a difference of reward concerning sonship? A lot of people have been taught that everybody gets the same reward, but that ain't what the scripture says. And this motivates each of us to be a doer and not just to hear the word. Look at John 8 and 31. Jesus therefore said to those Jews that had believed him. Now he's talking to believers here. You see that? That had believed him. If you abide in my word, then are you truly my disciples? So the question is, if we believe on Christ, are we now a disciple? And the question is, if you are a Christian, are you a disciple? And it ain't those that we loosely call Christians that are going to enter into the kingdom. It's disciples that are going to enter into the kingdom. And what's a disciple? That word disciple is methetes. It means a learner and a follower. 
verse 32, and ye shall know the truth. Who did he say were going to know the truth? He said disciples would know the truth. And disciples are those who abide in his word. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who gets set free? Only disciples get set free. And that, that should give you an understanding of why not all Christians get set free. Verse 33, they answered unto him, we are Abraham's seed and have never yet been in bondage to any man. How sayest you, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Everyone that commits sin is the bondservant of sin. And the bondservant abides not in the house forever. The son abides forever. Only sonship is eternal life. A bondservant is not eternal life. And if you ask, but what if I am a son by faith? Well, sonship is twofold. First of all, it's imputed by faith in the beginning. And second of all, it's manifested as we walk in that faith. And if we abide in that faith and walk in that faith, sonship will progressively manifest in us. We abide in the faith that we've been made free from sin. But everyone who commits sin is the bondservant of sin, and the bondservant doesn't abide in the house forever, the word said. Paul said the same thing in Galatians 4 and 30. How be it, what says the scripture? Cast out the handmaid and her son, for the son of the handmaid shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Verse 31. Wherefore, brethren, we are not children of a handmaid, but of the free woman. Listen, if you're a son, then be a son by faith. And if you're walking in that faith as a disciple, you're going to be manifesting Christ. You ain't got time to sit down and relax. See Christ in the mirror and accept that Christ lives in you. And if you walk by faith in him, you're going to do his works, his mighty work. And don't try to attain to Christ by your works because that puts you under the law. And that turns you back into a servant. Let's let's prove that the bondservant abideth not in the house forever. Now, if you remember in the parable of the marriage feast, a bunch of them were called to the feast. Well, they were many bidden to the feast, Matthew 22 and 11. But when the king came in to behold the guests, <coughs> he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. Well, what's a wedding garment? Revelation 19 and 8 tells it. And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The pure wedding garment of the bride, which we must wear, is the righteous acts of the saints. Romans 13 and 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the less thereof. So there's a garment that we've got to put on. And here's a man that didn't have it on. Now, he obviously was a Christian or he wouldn't have made it into the marriage feast. But even though he made it into the marriage feast, he didn't have on the wedding garment. And the king saw that man. Matthew 22 and 12. And he said unto him, Friend, how come thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Only the chosen got to stay. The call came, 
but they didn't get to stay. Or, in other words, they didn't have eternal life. This man without the wedding garment was a Christian, but he didn't have eternal life. When you walk in faith, you're able to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But this man wasn't walking in faith, and he wasn't putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, so he was broken off as a branch. Romans 11 and 19. Thou wilt say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, by their unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by thy faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, neither will he spare thee. He was called, but he wasn't chosen. And uh, another example that you can be called but not chosen is in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Let's start out in verse 14. For it is as when a man going into another country called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his several ability. Then he went on his journey. So we see here that they're definitely servants of God who were given the talents. He gave them these talents, and he didn't return until they brought forth fruit from these talents. And the servant who received the five talents brought forth five more. And the servant that received the two talents, he got he brought back two more. And the Lord said that they were good servants. But the servant who hid his one talent in the earth and didn't bring forth fruit from what his Lord gave him, he was an unprofitable servant. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I did not scatter. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the bankers, and at my coming I should have received back mine own with interest. Take ye away therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath the ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. For him but from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away. Hath and hath not here is talking about fruit. The servant with the five talents brought forth five more. He brought forth fruit of what God gave him. But the servant that hath not is going to lose even that what he hath, which he hath. And that's talking about Christian or what we've been loosely calling Christian. Folks, if they don't bring forth fruit of what God gives them, they're going to lose what they have. You are responsible to do something with what God gives you, whether it's two talents or whether it's five talents. The the man with the one talent was just a servant. He wasn't a son because he didn't do anything with what he gave him. He was called, but he wasn't chosen. And his talent was taken away from him, given to the profitable servant with the ten talents. And that's exactly what God is going to do with us. Did you know that a son has to be a servant, but a servant doesn't have to be a son? God's hope is to adopt his servants and make them sons. But every servant will not bear fruit and and won't become a son. By faith, the adoption happened 2,000 years ago. And manifestly, when it's you it's when you bear Christ as 30, 60, or 100-fold fruit that's going to happen. The adoption is fully manifested when God gives you a new body. But in spirit and in soul, it's manifested while you're here on this earth. 
And there's a difference of reward because every servant <clears throat> will not become a son. They may have been called, but they might not be chosen. Ezekiel 46 and 16 says, Thus saith the Lord God, if the prince, that was the high priest in the Old Testament, Hebrews 4 and 14, having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Ezekiel 46 and 16, thus saith the Lord God, if the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, it's his inheritance. It shall belong to his son. It's their possession by inheritance. But if he give of his inheritance a gift to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. The year of liberty is the marriage feast, folks. The year of liberty to the Jews was when the land went back to the original owner, and that's when the servants were set free. Leviticus twenty-seven twenty-one. But the field, when it goes out in the Jubilee, shall be holy unto the Lord as a field devoted. The possession thereof shall be the priest. And if he be not redeemed by these means, then he shall go out in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. So those who were in bondage were set free. And we're coming to a year like that. All of this thirst is going to be back to its original owner. And those servants that are manifesting sonship, they're going to be set free. Ezekiel 46 and 17. But if he give of his inheritance a gift to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. So if God gives this gift to an unprofitable servant, he's going to keep it only until the year of liberty. Then it shall return to the prince, but as for his inheritance, it shall be for his sons. You see, he's going to take the talent away from the unprofitable servant who has the one, and he's going to give it to his sons. His sons get the inheritance of all those other servants because the other servants didn't walk in faith, and they didn't manifest Christ. The sons get the whole inheritance. Verse 18, Moreover, the prince shall not take of the people's inheritance to thrust them out of their possession. He shall give inheritance to his sons out of his own possession. Folks, we're joint heirs with Christ. We receive the same inheritance he received. God does what he says he's going to do. And a person that don't manifest fruit from the gift given to them by the Lord is going to have it taken away and given to those who have chosen sonship and are bearing the fruit of Christ. There's a difference of reward for what we have loosely called Christian. First of all, there was the servant with the two talents and the servant with the five talents. That's a difference right there. But both of them brought forth everything that they could bring forth, and that's what God put in. God has given you knowledge and understanding, and he's going to hold you responsible to do something with it. Luke 12 and 48, And to whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom they commit much, of him will they ask more. God expects us to do something with what he gives us. And it's not a heavy burden that he's going to put on you. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, My burden is light, because knowledge is the way to fruit. 
And if you don't know what his promises are, then you can't set your faith on them, and you certainly can't have them. Second Peter 1 and 3 says, Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Folks, you have to know what to reach out for. Some people are going to use the excuse, well, the preacher didn't teach me or the preachers lied to me. But what did Jesus say? John 7 and 17. If any man wills to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. In other words, if you do the will of the Father, you're going to know the teaching, okay? No one can stop you from getting the truth if you really want to know God. Because he's going to make sure that it gets through to you. And if you stay in apostate religion, you risk being cast out and losing your inheritance. Proverbs 2 and 16 says, To deliver thee from the strange woman. God's talking about the harlot. The harlot church, okay? Even from the foreigner that flatters with her words. That forsakes the friend of her youth. That's Jesus. And forgets the covenant of her God. For her house inclines unto death and her paths unto death. And then he goes on to warn these people. In verse 21. For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the land and the treacherous shall be rooted out of it. Remember the wedding guest who didn't have the wedding garment on? He came to the marriage feast, but he didn't get to stay. Now, that's real important to understand that because it should motivate you. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. That's talking about the apostate people of God. He's saying that there's a remnant of something good in their midst, and that's why he's not going to destroy them all. Verse 9, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains and my chosen. That's not talking about all the called, but only the chosen, which is the word elect. Shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor. That represents tribulation. That root word for Achor means to afflict or trouble. A place for herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. Verse 11. But ye that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mount, I'm speaking of his kingdom, that prepare a table for fortune, and that's the people that are lusting after the things of the world. They're paying attention to everything of the world. And that fill up mingled wine unto destiny. I will destine you to the sword and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear. But you did that which was evil in mine eyes and chose that wherein I delighted not. That's what's going to happen to the carnal questions out there. And here's another warning. Just a few verses later in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Well, 
So after God has created a new heaven and a new earth here, he's talking about, he says, there shall be no more thence an infant of days nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old and a sinner's being a hundred years old shall be a curse. You know that a child and a servant are the same. Proverbs 29, 21 tells it. Here we can see that the bond servant of sin and the child, that's the same person. This is the some, this is somebody who hasn't entered into sonship either through faith or through manifestation. And Isaiah says the sinner being a hundred years old. Well, a hundred is a tenth of the millennium, a tenth of a thousand. And a lot of people under the law are just doing business with God. They say, I give God my 10% like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. And Paul said, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you are falling away from grace. We're free from the law. We're free to follow the Spirit. And if we follow the Spirit, we're going to surpass anything that the law says. And again, remember that the guest without the wedding garment was in the wedding feast. And he did get to stay for a little while. But then he was cast out into outer darkness. And I believe that's what he's talking about in Isaiah 65 and 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem. And joy in my people, and there should be heard in her no more the voice of weeping and the voice of crying. There should be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. These bond servants of sin, who choose to remain children inside of growing, instead of growing into sonship, they ain't going to be able to enter into the new Jerusalem. Revelation twenty one twenty seven. There shall no wise enter into it anything unclean, or he that maketh an abomination and a lie. But only they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Without are the dogs and the sorcerers and the fornicators and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone that loveth and maketh a lie. Those people will be cast forth from the city, folks. There's a big difference of reward between those who do serve God and those who profess God but don't serve God. Everyone who has not believed on the only begotten Son of God is already judged. But the judgment is going to be in the separating. Okay? I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next week. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus I trust in you Shining rays of red and white 
Jesus, I trust in. 